0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio.
1: Good morning, church. You all know how excited I am to be here, so hope y'all are too. Let's go with a little more time in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're merciful. We thank you for your word that you've given us. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you delight and show in showing mercy. You delight in opening blind eyes and blind hearts. Father we, pray that, Father, we pray that you would get me out of the way so that you can speak, so that your word can speak sharper than a double-edged sword. Father, I pray that you would get my words and my thoughts and, and my ideas out of the way, but that we would hear your word And that you would speak to us through us. Show us mercy in that regard, we ask right now, Father. Amen. Amen. Alright, so this morning, Psalm 123. We're going to be drawing from a fountain of living water. A little bit of context first about the Psalms and about uh, songs of ascent. Psalm 123 is one of 15 songs of ascent written for us in the Psalms. Before we dive into the body of this morning's text, a little bit of context. The Psalms were the Israelite song-slash-prayer book, and King David wrote many of them, and scholars, scholars are not complete, uh, not in complete agreement over who authored every single Psalm. Psalm 123 is one of the Psalms whose author is unknown. Even as the author is unknown, We trust that because it is Holy Scripture, it is inspired and authored by the Spirit of God. So what are the Songs of Ascent? These are 15 chosen psalms picked to be sung when the Jews would travel up to Jerusalem. So, when would the Jews travel up to Jerusalem? Well, three times a year, all the Jews would travel up to Jerusalem. The three annual reasons were the annual festivals, which were... The Festival of Passover, Festival of Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles. These three festivals were major holidays for the Jewish people. So it's not a far stretch to look at these Songs of Ascent as similar to how we think of Christmas carols. Both Christmas carols and Songs of Ascent are going to be passed from generation to generation, but most importantly, both Christmas carols and songs of ascent are tools that we use to prepare our heart's posture. What I mean by that is we sing, O come let us adore him and joy to the world it, for months in expectation for when Christmas finally arrives. Similarly, these psalms worked to help the ancient Jews create a correct heart posture that was pure and in expectation of when they finally arrived to Jerusalem. It's also worth noting that Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. And many places the Jews could have been traveling from were actually below sea level. So these are songs of ascent because they were saying as the Israelites were literally ascending as they traveled upward geographically, to get to Jerusalem, and because they were spiritually ascending as they sang in an effort to work their hearts into looking up towards God. Now, for this morning's text. I hope you've got a Bible with you. If not, there's a cart with a red Bible, and I'm going to turn Psalm 123. I hope that you will as well. Read along with me, please. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, until he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, and of the contempt of the proud. It's the word of the Lord. This psalm is only four verses, but it's a theologically rich, theologically dense four verses. Okay? This psalm is a prayer composed as a song. This psalm was written because God's people were facing adversity and trouble, as we see in verse 4. The adversity and trouble that God's people are facing is scorn and contempt. So without the scorn and contempt experienced by God's people, this psalm would not exist. In a response to the scorn and the contempt, possibly a prophet, but we don't know exactly who, is crying out to God, You who are enthroned in the heavens. Then in verse 2, we see as the pronouns shift from first person singular, I lift my eyes to our eyes to the Lord our God. In verse 2 and 3, we have a picture of a humble and contrite heart, which the Lord says he loves. In verse 3, we recognize God's sovereign hand actively holding everything together. And in verse 4, we are given the catalyst, the issue or the problem that God's people have, the reason why they are asking for mercy. So this is a psalm of patiently waiting for mercy, from a merciful God to have mercy on his chosen people. That's the theme of this chapter. God can be trusted. God is merciful, and it is in his nature to be merciful. We love God's mercy, right? We love talking about God's mercy, and we should. But why do we love God's mercy? We can only appreciate and love God's mercy when we understand why we need it. So let's take a brief pause from Psalm 123 so that we can come back to it with a greater clarity. The triune God created heaven and earth for his glory and pleasure. Adam acted as a rebel against God's kingdom and choosing instead to act as his own king. Adam committed a spiritual cosmic treason, which God calls sin. All of us, Adam's descendants, from birth are rebels who naturally choose to be our own king by worshiping God's creation instead of God the creator. If not for God's intervention, all humankind would live and die separated from God as we would die as cosmic rebels deserving of an amazing punishment that can only be earned by spitting in the face of an infinitely holy, beautiful, generous, and merciful creator God. But God planned to send Jesus, his son, to take the punishment that Adam and his descendants earned. Only an infinitely holy sacrifice could satisfy the wrath of an infinitely holy God. That's why we value God's mercy. All the pain and punishment in this world is a ripple effect of Adam's sin and sin against God after the fall. But God's purpose to save his people then and now, which brings us back to Psalm 123. It's our main th- this is our main theme that God is merciful, and this is our main thought. The Creator God uses the painful effects of sin to position our heart to receive His mercy. So the Creator God uses the painful effects of sin to position our hearts to receive His mercy. God is merciful, and this is the formula that we're going to see in Psalm 123, how as Creator God, He chooses to extend His mercy into our hearts. Verse 1, we see that worship starts with our eyes looking above to God. We must have a correct heart posture. Verse 3, we're going to see that we are made to ask God for mercy. And in verse 4, God often uses the effects of sin to usher in his mercy. Starting with verse 1. Worship starting with God. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. This may prompt you to ask the question, How do I lift my eyes to God? I'm offering that the scripture answers this question in three ways. By prayer, scripture, and song. A preacher named Leonard Ravenhill said that no man is greater than his prayer life. And we stand on Scripture as, as the Word of God. We are assured that God has chosen to reveal Himself to us through the Scriptures. We lift our eyes to Him by reading the Scriptures. Creator God designed us to be emotional, which is why we respond so well to music. Music can be a prayer patterned from Scripture just as many as, the, as many of the Psalms are. In Charles Spurgeon's commentary of this verse, he contrasts God sitting on a throne to the prominent false God of that era, Baal, who often was said to be on a journey, and that is why he may have been silent or just didn't answer. So Spurgeon helps us see God's redemptive plan and mercy in that God wants a personal relationship with his creation, he's accessible. More than that, through Jesus' sacrifice, He makes us accessible to Him. So God's sitting on the throne. He's there. We know where He is. We don't have to look for Him. Moving to verse 2. Cultivating a correct heart posture. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master and the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of our mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until He has mercy on us. Now here in 2021, we're a little removed in the context of servants and and masters. So we're going to go to a couple scriptures to, to help with that. Um, and the sec so this this is an analogy. And the second analogy that we see there. The maid servant and and mistress is just the same look that we have in in the first line, so a a female slave female um, master, that wording can be a, a little confusing. So many people you know indentured servitude was not an uncommon thing, and and that's what we're dealing with here. People that would have waited on on other people, um, and if they didn't have a servant then they they probably could have been a servant. God is rich in mercy, but before we can receive it, our heart posture has to be correct. And that's what we see in verse 2, right? So they see a picture of God enthroned. God, you who are enthroned in the heavens, and because they're able to see that clearly, they have this heart posture of looking up to our good Father God as though we were uh, the, an analogy, like a slave looks up to his master, like we're, we're that, that dependent, like we're, we are at your mercy, okay? He is high and we are low. Before we can receive mercy, we need to be aware of our need for mercy. We've already talked about why we need mercy, now for what our heart's posture before the Lord should look like. In response to the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior, the writer is using this analogy to show his hearers how they should be positioned when they go before the Lord to receive mercy. Since a servant does look to his master's hand, who is imperfectly merciful, how much more can we look to our Heavenly Father, who is perfectly merciful? The picture here is that of a humble and contrite heart. Psalm 51:17 reads, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Contrite means a feeling of repentance. Let's notice that if our heart posture is not right, we cannot receive God's mercy. Let's look at examples in Scripture of what it looks like to come before the Lord with the correct heart posture before we ask for that mercy. Turn with me to Luke 7. Verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and Behold a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, One owned 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me the water for my feet. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a woman who gets it, Jesus says. Her heart posture is a a weeping, a dependent repentance. She has made herself low at Jesus' feet, cleaning his feet with her hair and tears. She anoints him with costly ointment. She does this in front of the disciples and in front of the religious elite. She is recognized by everyone there. Everyone knows who she is as a sinner. But she doesn't care. Because of her faith seen in her heart posture, she extends mercy. Jesus extends mercy and tells her that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Turn with me to Luke 18:9 through14, as we read this morning. But his worship started with God, as we see in verse 1 Psalm 123. God, be merciful to me. Contrast that to the Pharisee, who really just worshipped himself, telling God all the reasons why he was a good person. God freely gave mercy to the tax collector, who had a correct heart posture that was humble and contrite before the Lord. Back to Psalm 123. We left off in verse 3. God delights in showing mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. So here we see that there's people that are not friends of the Lord. They don't honor God. They don't trust God. And they're showing the people of God serious contempt, serious scorn, they don't look at them like they're worth anything. We don't know the exact, con- the exact context, but the enemies of the Lord are, are uh, really giving God's people a, a hard time, and that's what we see here in verse 3, calling out to God for, for relief. So the author asks for mercy from the Lord, knowing that he has much mercy to give. If you come up to me and you ask me for a million dollars, I can't help you. No matter how much trouble you're in, I I can't help you. But God is sovereign and He's in control. So He has the ability to give mercy and to intervene in our circumstances, which is why we can ask Him for mercy because He has that to give. The writer is assured that the Lord will show mercy when He asks. And I am assured that the Lord will show mercy. I am not always assured that as the people of God we ask in a dependent way, similar to a servant approaching the hand of his master in verse 2. Anytime and in any capacity or context, when we ask for mercy, it's a lowly thing. Have you ever been in debt or had to ask for more credit or more time to pay a bill? completely at someone else's mercy. That's the picture that Jesus painted in Luke 18. We are the debtor at his mercy. Hosea and many other Old Testament scriptures depict the people of God as an adulterous spouse, and God again and again shows his mercy to his unfaithful bride. God considers our choosing sin over joy to be a spiritual adultery. We can bring nothing. We ask for mercy as an unfaithful spouse saying, for no other reason but that you're good, please take me back. Jonathan Edwards said, we contribute nothing to our own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. One more scripture. This time from Mark 10:46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth he began to cry out and say Jesus son of David have mercy on me and many rebuked him telling him to be silent but he cried out all the more son of David have mercy upon me and Jesus stopped and he said call him And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I I love this story. I love this part of Scripture. Um, It's a flesh and bone picture that illustrates the spiritual aspect of what everyone's coming to Jesus story looks like, right? Blind Bartimaeus, he recognized his need. He was blind as we are spiritually blind, right? But Bartimaeus' sin did not cause his blindness. Similarly, the Israelites' sin did not cause the scorn and contempt that they were facing. And the trials and and sometimes trauma that we may face may not be caused by our sin either. But just as God used Bartimaeus' tragic blindness to draw him closer to the Father, God can use tragedy in our lives to draw us closer to God as well. Bartimaeus had faith that Jesus would make him well, as we have faith that Jesus can restore our spiritual blindness. Now let's draw the parallels to Psalm 123. Bartimaeus starts by calling out to Jesus, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy upon me. We see his heart posture. He calls in expectation That this celebrity, who is surrounded by crowds, will have mercy on him. Who's a nobody, a blind beggar. When others look at him with contempt and tell him to be quiet, he only raises his voice louder. Now keeping in mind the analogy in Psalm 123, As a servant looks to his master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us keeping in mind the forgiven sinful woman and the forgiven tax collector that we read about in Luke. Hear what blind Bartimaeus sounds like. Because the tone in Bartimaeus' voice is is really what I think is pictured here in Psalm 123. When we approach the throne for mercy, leave your honor, leave your self-respect, leave your dignity at the door when we approach the throne for mercy. For mercy. Don't be the Pharisee telling God all the reasons why you deserve it. We bring nothing. When we approach our merciful Creator God, a sane response looks like tears on his feet and costly ointment poured out. A sane response looks like the tax collector, again with his head low, saying, God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. A sane response looks like Bartimaeus crying out loudly and crying out blindly. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. All dignity, all honor, all power, all respect offered up to him who sits enthroned in the heavens, verse 1. It's either insane or arrogant to approach the throne room of grace with our heads held high. Whether on Sunday morning when when we sing and pray or whether at at your home with the Lord the other six days of the week, you know, when we when we sing and worship to him. I just I, I wonder if do we approach in in that same way with, with our head saying, Father Father have mercy on me or or is it as as a Pharisee? That who would never say, Lord, "Lord, have mercy on me," or or be on our knees, thinking that we don't really need mercy because we're 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 good people. But you see what the Lord says about those those two different heart postures. You know whether whether we worship the Lord and and pray, um, you know, knelt or or hands raising or just standing straight still isn't isn't the issue. The issue is. The heart posture in which we come before the Lord, which we see in verse 2. As a servant to our master looking to you. How do we get there? First have an image of who you're talking to. Sure he's a friend, sure he's our counselor. But this is him who is enthroned in the heavens. And what are we but a few years on a, on a, on a planet? But He wants to talk to us. He wants to have relationship to us. But let's just acknowledge that like, if if when we're singing, either here, when we sing at home, pray at home, that this is Him who is enthroned in the heavens. And we're told in Revelation what that's going to look like, right? With the majestic beast with eyes and the wings and they're swarming around the throne and there's going to be 24 elders and they lay down their thrones and lay, they lay them on the ground saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty with the rest of us. who's you're, All of it's to you, God. Holy, holy, holy are you. you know, it's, it's only, I'm convinced that it's only our sin that keeps us from seeing who we are and it's only our sin that keeps us from seeing who God is that keeps those that keeps that response that keeps that heart posture from happening. It's when the Lord lets uh, a brokenness, like the Israelites experienced because of verse four. That we can get there. To say, "Holy are you, and who is enthroned in the heavens." So. Uh, there's another phrase uh, I want to talk about briefly. Um, in verse three and in verse four, it's there more than enough. We're praying to God, for you who is enthroned in the heavens, Father, we are experiencing more than enough. Ever heard the expression, "The Lord won't give you more than you can handle," or like the senses? Strongest soldiers for the toughest battles. Sort of, you see something similar to to that, but a little different. They're praying out to him in in, de, in a dependence. Lord, you're giving us more than enough right now. We've taken more than enough scorn and contempt. It's why. So it, I, I want I want to be delicate here, right? To you know, there's people people in this room, people outside the room. You experienced uh, a lot of a lot of things, a lot of hard things, a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache, uh, a lot of trials. And and from from this psalm, and from more than enough, let's let's tie in that there is hope on the other side of your hurting, and that. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, He will not waste your pain. He uses everything for His purposes, even the pain that His children go through. Here are the Israelites crying out, You're giving us more than enough, God. We can't handle any more. More than enough. No, no. I don't want to add more words to the text, but more than enough means more than enough. But God uses it for their good, and he can use it for our good as well. Verse 4. God uses the effects of sin to bring our hearts to a place to receive mercy. Okay, so follow, follow the, the progression here. Verse 4. Our souls have more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease and of the contempt of the proud. So there would be no, to you I lift up my eyes who you are enthroned in the heavens if there wasn't a verse 4. God could not be shown to be a God of great mercy if we had no reason to call out for a God of great mercy. So he allows and he uses evil things in the world to further his purposes. So follow with me. I'm going to read just one verse. Genesis 50:20. Right? The context that Joseph being sold to Pharaoh and he goes through all kinds of terrible things sold to his brothers, and God uses it to save many, many people's lives, including the entire nation of Israel. What you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. God had purposes for him, even the midst of, even in the midst of his sufferings. One more time, what you meant evil against me, God meant for good. God leveraged the sin from a woman's past in Luke 6 so that she could love him even greater God made much of Bartimaeus and he made him eager to follow Jesus by healing his blindness if you caught it at the end of the story with uh, the scripture Bartimaeus is given his sight and what does he do he follows Jesus Uh, probably uh, literally went up and like started following him like right behind him you would I mean, I wonder. I, I don't know. But would he have followed him if he had been born with sight? Maybe. He he could have. But the way the Lord and his sovereign divine hand chose to let uh, sin and the ripple effects of it play out in Bartimaeus' life is that he was born blind and he had to call out to Jesus. And the Lord answered, And he had a lot of joy from being able to follow Jesus and from actually following Jesus after he called out for his sight. God gave the Israelites occasion to call out to him by allowing scorn and contempt from those that opposed God. And God will allow impossibly even purpose, pain and sorrow in our lives. But it's for our good and it's for his glory. And I feel that way at the time. Our culture today continually calls evil good and good evil. And we will face the scorn of those who are at ease in the contempt of the proud. As the country and culture continues to divide, those who oppose Jesus Christ will look at us and talk about us with contempt and scorn. Maybe not to the degree that the Israelites faced, but we will be seen as beneath consideration and we will not be taken seriously either. So a few questions. What will your reaction be when, if, you're made fun of at work because you choose to be filled with the Spirit instead of filled with alcohol, which leads to debauchery? What will your prayer be? What will you say to God when your friends or family think you don't love them anymore just because you don't support their homosexuality. What will you say to God when you are labeled a bigot because people know that you have dared to say out loud male and female are both made in God's image with only two genders. What will your cry to God be when you are labeled a bigot who doesn't support women's rights they say because you have a Catherine Foundation sticker on your car and they know that you stand against abortion will the scorn and contempt keep you from obeying God what if God calls you to speak to the hurting young woman outside of an abortion clinic to offer to adopt her child when your business is bound to be targeted because of your biblical convictions will you lash out Will you get angry at sinners for acting like sinners? Will we buckle under the temptation and teases and become like the world, with its nudity on Netflix, daily drunkenness and perverse poetry and music? When our politics used to be seen as polite but now pointing to the Bible, will make fingers pointing and laughing at you. What will you do? Will you point to the pointless power in politicians? No, we must not. We must hold to truth. We must live not by lies. We must hold fast to the confession of our faith, for he who promised is faithful. We must realize that all men, including us, especially us, are born spiritually dead and apart from the intervening interposing, intervenious life support given to us via Jesus Christ blood shed for us which raised our dead bodies, our dead souls back to life, to life we too would be drunk, high, indulging and dying from all kinds of sexual perversion blinded to the sin of abortion and we would encourage others to do the same we are no better But for God, intervening into our lives, we are called to be set apart. We are called to always be ready to give an account for the hope which is inside of us, to anyone who will listen. So in conclusion, worship starts with God. Not a sleight of hand, worshiping ourselves as the Pharisee did. Let us lift up our eyes to the one who is enthroned in heavens. Let us have a a correct view of who we're worshiping, how holy he is, how majestic he is in comparison to us. Let us correct our heart's posture, giving God a sacrifice of a humble spirit and a contrite heart. As we saw in verse 2, looks like a servant looking to the hand of his master we look to our merciful Heavenly Father until He has mercy on us. We pray to a God who uses the effects of sin to bring about His good purposes in our lives so that we will look to Him for our joy, which is a complete joy which can only be found in Him. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Father we thank you for your word thank you that you're merciful Father we thank you that in in our weakness you are made strong thank you for Pastor Brian and his humility letting me share in his pulpit Father we ask that you would work in our hearts to let us see more truly and more clearly before we get to your side of heaven who we're looking at and who you are who it is that sits on the throne in heaven Father so that we can come to you having nothing to give to you but mercy saying Lord have mercy Thank you that you are merciful enough to use all things to help us get to that point of joy where we want to come to you. Thank you that every knee will bow to you, Father. I pray that we would you would work work in our hearts and work through the hearts of those that we can go and, and talk to this week our friends, neighbors, coworkers that are our knees would bend in worship before they are meant to be bent by the sound of your voice, Father. Thank you for the joy that you give us in the midst of trouble. Thank you that you're always there with us to comfort us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.
0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.